I've been a fan of the Cleveland Browns since Jim Brown was rookie. It was 1957. I used to think when I was eight years old that they had named the Cleveland Browns after Jim Brown. Uh, I've seen the Browns at their highest moments when they were the team to beat. And I have lived through the very lowest low moments, uh, including a winless season, only done by one other team. Uh, but I've stuck by them. Even when I didn't really like them, when I thought the management, the powers to be were making some rather um, ignorant decisions on some of the players that they drafted or traded for or some of the players that they got rid of. Well, this year they made it to the playoffs for the first time since I think it's 2003, their first playoff win since 1994. And it was sweet because it was against the hated Pittsburgh Steelers. Unfortunately, that was the end of the road for them for this season. And I won't go into the game that they lost and how they lost. But if you follow American football, you know that the Browns have not done very well for the last several years. They've had more quarterbacks than any other team, more coaches than any other team. and But they went farther this year than many people expected. And so they've got a great foundation to build on for next year's team. Well, praise God, we have a much firmer foundation than that because we have Jesus Christ. And he always does much more than what's expected of him. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks that uh, you love us and you like to see us entertained because uh, football or hockey or basketball or soccer, whatever it is, is really not much more than that to the multitudes of people that we may have one time had aspirations of being some great athlete, but that doesn't happen for most of us. But Lord, we can be great in your sight by doing the things that you call us to do which are much more important than kicking around a ball or uh, skating around on the ice or whatever. Because, Lord, you have called us to do kingdom things. So, Father, as we look at your word and maybe see a little more than, than we can be doing, Father, help us to see what you have planned for us. And, Lord, help us to find your message today from Peter. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to try and wrap up First Peter in this message, but I don't want to skip anything at the same time. I just want to see the rest of what Peter had to say in his first letter. And he begins chapter 4 uh, with some advice for us believers. Uh, verses 1 through 3, the New Living Translation says, So that, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude 
he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have been finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Okay, some things Paul is saying and some things Paul is not saying or not Paul, excuse me, Peter. Peter is saying that we should be ready to suffer even physically for Jesus. Not that we will suffer physically, but we need to be ready for that possibility. And maybe not so much here in the United States, but in other places. I mean, I know that even here that there's uh, times that Christians have suffered physically, uh, usually brought on by family members. But so Peter is not saying that we expect to suffer for our faith. Okay, But he is saying that if we're living for Christ, our lives will be different than before. The things that we desired in the past will no longer be part of our lives. The temptations are going to remain and maybe even get stronger, but we can overcome those with Christ. He's not saying that we lived with the sins that he listed. Okay, immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, and idol worship. Although some or all of those things may have been part of who we were. Verse 4 tells us that we may encounter our friends, our former friends, are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things, the things that they do, and so they slander you. Well, friends and family are going to be surprised at your new behavior. They are not going to like it. Okay, and so it says that they slander you. Or in the King James, it says that they speak evil of you. Well, verse 5 goes on to tell us that we will all face some things at some time. Because he says, but remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. So those who slander you, those who speak evil of you, will answer for it before the Lord. And I can kind of picture this in my mind. You know, let's say, you know, you have a, a brother, you know, your flesh and blood brother. And, you know, you become a Christian and he just torments you about it and makes fun of you and, you know, tries to drive a wedge between you and the church and the Lord and, and all. And the day is going to come when he's going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, you know, remember when you did this and you said this and you acted this way towards my child. You know, not a good idea. 
okay? because we will answer for those things that we have done. Well, verse 6 is another of Peter's writings that seem confusing and has been debated. This is from the NIV. It says, For this is a reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now, some think that Peter may be referring to what he said in 1 Peter 3.19 about Jesus having preached to the imprisoned spirits. Okay, that when Jesus died, that he descended to hell, possibly, probably, and that he was preaching to these imprisoned spirits. Others, including myself, believe that it is referring to those who had heard the gospel, but had since died. Okay, uh, to go back to verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. Okay, so these are people that heard the gospel message, but died before Christ had been um, crucified and resurrected. So the last line of 1 Peter 4, 6 says, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit, that those that respond to the gospel and died are with God. That is my understanding of that verse. All right, moving on to verses 7 through 11. This is how we should be living as children of God. And this is taken from the Passion Translation. It says, Since we are approaching the end of all things, be intentional, purposeful, and self-controlled so that you can be given to prayer. Above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another, for love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. Be compassionate to foreigners without complaining. Every believer has received grace gifts, so use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. For example, if you have a speaking gift, speak as though God were speaking his words through you. If you have the gift of serving, do it passionately with the strength God gives you, so that in everything, God alone will be glorified through Jesus Christ. For to him who belong the power and the glory forever throughout all ages. Amen. Okay, so to sum that up, in my mind, it says, act like you belong to God and that you're trying to model Jesus Christ. Okay? If we see ourselves belonging to the Lord, we're going to want to do more and act more like Jesus Christ in the world. Okay, so looking at verse 12, and this is from the New Living Translation now. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. 
as Christians, we should expect to be tried here on earth. It just kind of comes with the territory. Or does it? I say, without a doubt, we'll be tried. We'll be tested. Well, I've encountered some Christians that say, you know, I, I never feel like I'm being attacked by Satan. What we should say is, oh, I'm happy for you. No, that's not what we should say. If we want to be honest with them, what we should say, I guess Satan doesn't see you as a threat to him. Oh, that is if we want to be brutally honest. But it's true. Satan only goes after those that endanger his territory. If you're still living your life like you did before, if you're not reaching out and serving the Lord in, in some way, using the gifts that he's given you, if you're not sharing the gospel like we're told to, if you're not encouraging others to leave the life that they've been living and to, you know, join you to become a believer and to, to live more like you, Satan, he's happy. He's not going to waste his time on you. There's enough Christians out there that are really doing what God expects them to do for him to be concerned about. And he's going to say, I don't need to worry about her. You know, she says she's a Christian and she goes to church two, maybe three times a month. I haven't seen her read her Bible outside of a few verses in church on those times that he goes. You know, she only prays if she needs something for herself. I'm not going to worry about her. She is no threat to me. That's the life that some people live. And they're not being threatened by Satan. Well, of course, Peter goes on. Verses 13 to 17. He said, instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into others' affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, oh, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. As I've been saying, there will be times when Christians will suffer just because they're a Christian. Nothing more. Okay, not because of where you live or how you speak or what you do or you don't do. Just the fact that you call yourself a Christian. Just because of what we believe and who we believe in. I'm not sure why Peter thought it was necessary to give the list of things to not be doing. 
murder, stealing, causing trouble, being nosy. Maybe some that he was writing to were dealing with some of these areas. In verse 17, Peter talks about the judgment coming soon. That was a common thought then. Okay? Those that had lived during the time that Christ lived thought for sure that Christ was going to come in their lifetime. People, you know, look at the, the signs today, <coughs> excuse me, and feel the same way. You know, look at what's happening in the world. You know, the, the storms and, you know, the, the wars and the uprisings and all the political garbage and all. And so, you know, Christ must be coming soon. Well, between Peter's time and our time and every time in between, people have thought the same thing. You know, it looks like it's time for the Lord to be coming. And so, you know, we just need to be ready. It's a, just a, a common thought. That's what Peter thought for hundreds of years. Now, I'm not saying Jesus isn't coming soon. He could come before I get done with this message. Or he may not come for another 2,000 years. So we don't know. Only the Father knows. And Jesus said that himself. So people have looked at their world for years and thought the same thing. Peter concludes this part of his letter like this in verses 18 and 19. NIV says, And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, that will, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Okay, this is from Proverbs 31, where it says, The righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner. Okay, but, um, Peter goes on and says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. One thing that we know for sure is that God is fair. Okay, we will all get what we deserve from him in the end. Okay, if we've been a faithful believer, we've, we've served, you know, we've you know, worked at coming closer in our relationship to the Lord we're going to get what we deserve. If we've denied that there even is a God, lived our lives as if there was no God, there was no heaven or hell, we'll get what we deserve. Moving on to chapter 5, 1 Peter. Okay, This is a really important chapter because Peter is giving some advice or instructions, however you want to look at it. Verses 1 through 4, Peter says, And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never 
unending glory and honor. Okay, Peter identifies himself here as an elder. Well, in the first verse of this letter, he calls himself an apostle. Apostle. The difference? As an elder, Peter may have been officially associated with a church, possibly one of the churches that he was writing to. And the definition of an apostle says it's one who is sent or one who has been commissioned. Okay. I think I think he used the, the term elder here to better associate with those that he was addressing. Because his purpose in these verses is to give instructions to other elders in churches. Now there may have been some elders that were not living up to the things that he listed. Okay, he said you need to care for the flock that you've been given or that has been assigned to you. You need to do it willingly, not unwillingly or reluctantly or grudgingly. Don't look for what you can gain. Don't think of yourself as better than those that you've been called to serve. Now, as a pastor in the United Methodist Church, I saw some of this. And sometimes maybe it was me that I saw. We need to, to realize that as pastors, as elders in the churches, that we have been called to serve. Sometimes it's a joy. Sometimes it seems really easy. Other times it's like, Lord, Please come today. Get me out of here. You know, I cannot serve these people anymore. Okay? This is such a tremendous burden. Take me, Lord, now. In verse 4, Peter speaks of the reason for doing this. You will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor from the Lord. Not from a church not from people, not from your um, ministry supervisors, but from the Lord. Well, in verse 5, Peter kind of shifts gears somewhat. In the NIV, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because... God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. There's a few things that I want to take note of here. Okay, where it says, you know, if you're younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, this is a different use of the word elders here than it was in the beginning of the chapter. Okay, the Greek is different there. Here, he is talking about Oh, a council of elders, maybe the, the ruling body of the church. Uh, in the United Methodist Church, it would maybe be seen as the um, pastor parish or staff parish relations committee. In some churches, they have a, a board of elders or a board of deacons, and they're the ones that, I don't want to say run the church, but they're the ones that 
make a lot of the important decisions on behalf of the congregation. So the next thing that Peter says is clothe yourselves with humility. Peter explains this with a, a quote from Proverbs 3.34, where it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Okay, sometimes in the church or in any organization, people that are in authority can start to look at themselves as maybe better than the rest of the people that are part of that church or organization. You know, I mean, they just think they're better than those that they are there to be serving. Peter had mentioned this in verse 3 when he said, we shouldn't be lording over those assigned to you. It happens. Believe me, it happens. Verses 6 and 7. Peter continues along these same lines, New Living Translation. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. My interpretation, God's on your side. Take advantage of it, okay? If you got God on your side, you got a whole lot going for you, okay? So you're going to be able to, to go to him when you find yourself in need. You're going to be able to go to the Lord when you need strength. So God is on your side. God wants you to succeed more than you want to succeed. He wants to see his flock being cared for properly. Verse 8 and verse 9 is a reminder of who the enemy is. Okay, because Peter says, stay alert, watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering as you are. Okay, that last part I kind of take exception to because I know that there's believers in other places that suffer more than those here in the United States. But verse 8 cannot be more accurate. The enemy is waiting to pounce on any believer. This is such a true, true statement. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Okay, now Peter starts to, to wind down this letter in verses 10 and 11. Because he says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered for a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. And amen. God only wants the very best for all of his children. It takes some work to get there. If it was easy, it wouldn't be very rewarding. It would be like, I went through all of that just for this? You know, I suffered all that I suffered just because of this? No, nah, 
Well, in the closing verses, verses 12 to 14, Peter sends his final greetings. He says, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church in Babylon sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Okay, this is a common way to and sometimes even begin a letter, uh, just recognizing others, as Peter does here. Now, Silas, uh, he's the one that was maybe the letter carrier. He's the one that took this finished letter and distributed it to different churches. He may have possibly been the scribe for the letter. And Mark, who Peter refers to as his son, is quite possibly, or maybe probably, the author of Mark's gospel. And he's not really Peter's son, but he was someone that Peter loved and held in high regard. So Peter's letter overall has been about serving others. So I want to share this song with you. It's one, it's in the United Methodist, United Methodist hymnal. I'm not sure where else it may be. It's not, you know, like Because He Lives or Amazing Grace, something like that. But it's a song that, that we used to sing, and it's got a great message to it. It starts out with a refrain. Hey, Sue, hey, Sue, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Then the verses go like this. Kneels at the feet of his friends, silently washes their feet, master who acts as a slave to them. Neighbors are wealthy and poor. Neighbors are black and white. Neighbors are near, near and far away. These are the ones we should serve. These are the ones we should love. All these are neighbors to us and you. Loving puts us on our knees, silently washing their feet. This is the way we should live with you. Jesus, Jesus, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Father, I just give you thanks for our neighbors. And Lord, describing neighbors as you describe them in your word. And so, Lord, help us to find those that we need to serve. That sometimes they are right next door or right across the street. Sometimes they're the person that we work with. Sometimes they're the person that we maybe golf with or uh, see on a regular basis in, in some other way. But sometimes those neighbors that we have are people that we may only see one time. But you may give us an opportunity to serve them in that one time. So Lord, as your children, help us to be looking 
for our neighbors, looking for ways, times, places to be able to serve them, just as Jesus would serve them. Because that's what we're called to do. And that's something that all of us can do. It's not something that pastors do or missionaries do or elders do. It's something that you called each and every one of your children to do. So, Father, help us, help me to do a better job of it. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that does not have a relationship with you, does not know who you are. Maybe they've heard about you. Maybe they went to church at one time, or maybe they're still going to church now, but they've never begun a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that today you'll draw them close enough to you that they'll see that now is the time and that only you can give them the the eternity that they want, eternity with you. Lord, let them pray like this. Dear Lord, thank you for your son Jesus. I needed a Savior, and you sent him for me. Take all my sin that was put into him and nailed on the cross. I want to live my life for you. Father, I give you my life. Thank you for the new life that I can get only from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.